Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. For today's podcast, we are going to revisit the Dayton Interchurch Holiness Convention of 1981, 42 years ago. The speaker was Jim Sutherland, who was talking about our heritage, and he titled his sermon, Follow Peace and Holiness. I know you're going to enjoy this excellent sermon. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the faithfulness of the blessed Holy Spirit in making it possible for us to be here today. We thank you, Lord, for every individual that has taken the effort and the financial expense and the trouble to be here in this place this afternoon. And our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being able to share together the Christian fellowship and the heritage that we have in holiness. We are very conscious of the fact this afternoon that, Lord, we're the products of a great intermeshing of God's providential arrangement. And we appreciate all of the precepts and the principles of righteousness that thou hast laid out before us. Lord, we're indebted. We're indebted with a labor of love, not only to our church family, but, oh God, to thee, the Son of God, who died and suffered uh, on the cross. And we thank thee for all of those provisions of grace that were wrapped up in the words, it is finished. Praise the Lord. We're glad you didn't leave us comfortless, but you sent the blessed Holy Spirit to come to this wicked world and to work and to operate as, as a spirit agency in the human heart, raising up individuals in every generation that will obey thy precepts and listen to thy principles and, and mind God and be submissive to thy will. Father, help us not to bore people with facts this afternoon, but set those facts on fire by the power of the blessed Holy Ghost. I pray that thou would stir up our minds and our hearts and help us, Lord, to go from this place to the arena of battle and to do conflict uh, with the knowledge that the Holy Ghost still lives and rules and reigns. Uh, search us out, examine our hearts, uh, and give us that anointing that only the Holy Ghost can give, and we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles and would like to follow the reading of the Word this afternoon, I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Hebrews, Chapter 12, a very familiar portion of Scripture, uh, and uh, I'd like to begin reading with verse 12. That's uh, Hebrews 12 and verse 12, and just read about four verses here. I was reminded of a statement uh, back in the motel room a little earlier today, uh, unconsciously pacing the floor. My, one of my girls said, uh, Dad, are you scared? And I said, well, I guess not. I don't guess I'm scared. But then I thought about Brother Paul Pierpoint telling us uh, 
that it wasn't so bad standing before a crowd when his knees got to knocking against each other, but he was really in trouble when they started missing each other. And uh, I feel just about in that same position uh, this afternoon. But I feel like uh, a few uh, months ago when the call came concerning this particular service that God spoke to my heart uh, concerning the heritage that we have. And, and we're, we're here as a product of a tremendous heritage. I've been reminded of the operation of God just to make it possible, even at the last minute, to make it possible for us to be here, assembled as we are, and uh, opening up the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed, follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness Again, for emphasis, springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I'd like to emphasize out of this scripture uh, lesson this afternoon for just a little bit, I'd like to talk to you about this heritage that we're uh, here about and concerning, and that is in the 14th verse, follow peace and holiness. Follow peace and holiness. I, uh, I've debated about, uh, you know, really, I, I don't want to bore uh, the folks here this afternoon with some uh, theological jargon and whatever, and yet, how can we um, effectively present the heritage of holiness without at least the mention of, of three or four basic names that go back several years ago. Uh, I think of, of the Wesley brothers. Now, I, I don't know how to divide the word maybe as some and, and use all of the uh, implications that John Wesley and Charles Wesley and John Fletcher and Adam Clark all use, but I do appreciate the fact that those men did write and they did leave us a legacy of tremendous study, and it's good for us, whether we like it or not, to open up our minds. You know, I found out uh, some time ago, uh, I started doing some push-ups in my room uh, in a camp meeting I was in. I jogged in place a few times uh, for maybe 10 minutes, and I found out the next morning that there were some muscles that I really forgot that I had. I started to get out of bed, and uh, I felt like I'd gained about 10 years while I was asleep. Those muscles were letting me know that they had been used in a way they hadn't been used for a while. And I think that some of our, uh, well, some of our rejection maybe of handling or looking at some of these facts, uh, they shouldn't be dry. But we should have our minds expanded. And uh, I'm uh, willing and I want, I desire to sit at the feet of any individual that I believe had a, a contact with God as well as a handle or a knowledge of theological truth that I believe is scriptural and God anointed. Let me just take a, just a very few minutes and point out at least uh, three or four of these men and maybe just open some light concerning the heritage that we have. 
actually, the holiness movement as we know it today, and I'm going to get in some scripture uh, in just a little bit, but by way of introduction, uh, somebody asked John Wesley, uh, made an inquiry concerning the doctrine or the Methodist doctrine of entire sanctification. And he answered in writing something to this effect, that in 1729, two young men reading the Bible saw that they could not be saved without holiness, followed after it and incited others to do so. God then thrust them out utterly against their will to raise up a holy people. Praise God. We are a part of that product uh, this afternoon. Wesley felt so strong about the teaching of entire sanctification uh, that he called it the grand depositum which God had lodged with the people called Methodists in the, in the 1700s. And then the question's asked, what is sanctification? And then he responded, it is to love God with all the heart, with all the mind, with all the soul, and with all our strength and one's neighbor as one's self. Praise God. You can't really enlarge upon that uh, thesis or that statement. It came uh, basically from the lips of Jesus. Uh, and the defi this definition has been used many times throughout Wesley's writings. All right, let me just skip on down through uh, and point out some things concerning the term holiness. Now, the word holiness as we know it has been used uh, interchangeably with sanctification or with Christian perfection. And I suppose that John Wesley used Christian perfection or emphasized it uh, more of the three terms, holiness, sanctification, and uh, Christian perfection. Now, uh, he made a statement concerning Christian perfection that uh, there were some things that we were not free from. He said, we're not free from mistakes. Uh, all, all you have to do is uh, just live for a little while, and I'm sure that everybody could say, we certainly have made some mistakes. If there's anybody that hasn't, I'd like to meet you after the meeting this afternoon. Brother Heron in the business meeting this morning said, well, I made one one time. He said, that's when I was wrong, or I was right, and I, I thought I was wrong. But anyway, it is true that the children of God do not mistake as to the things essential to salvation. They do not put darkness for light or light for darkness, neither seek death in the error of their life. For they are taught of God, and the way he teaches them, the way of holiness, is so plain that the wayfaring man, though a fool, need not err therein. But in things unessential to salvation, they do err, and that frequently. And then a Christian, Wesley said, is not free from bodily infirmities and all inward and outward imperfections that are not of a moral nature. Now, he would not allow uh, one to claim that drunkenness or uncleanness or the habitual or the habit of taking the Lord's name in vain was an infirmity. In fact, he wrote this word. He said, it is plain that all you who thus speak, if you repent not, shall with your infirmities go quick to hell. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Christian perfection is only another term for holiness. Now, let me slip on just a little bit. I'm going to uh, bypass, uh, I've only got 18 pages here in my introduction, and uh, 
I want to just, uh, all right. Charles Wesley actually blessed the people of his day and blessed um, uh, our hearts with some of the, uh, the tremendous songs. Uh, actually, a lot of his theology came out in his ability to write songs where John excelled in his theology and in, in his dissertation. Uh, God gifted uh, Charles Wesley with uh, the ability to put into songs and verse those concepts of theology that I, I'd like to just mention a couple here. In his hymn, The Promise of Sanctification, Charles takes the promise of purification God gave to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. The theme of his hymn and the scripture is the purification of God's people. And by the way, when you and I read and listen and sing some of the content of some of these tremendous old songs that the Holy Ghost gave Charles Wesley, it makes the tinny, cheap uh, jingle and junk that is produced in the so-called religious uh, song market today seem just exactly what it is. Amen. Charles, though, pleads for God, quote, to wash me clean, make me pure from sin, purge me from every single blot, wash out my original stain with one drop of thy all-cleansing blood. Praise God. He goes on to the 16th verse. Now, we get wore out with three or four. <laughs> but in the 16th verse, he said, from all remaining filth within, let me in thee salvation have from actual and from inbred sin, from my ransom soul persist to save. He says that sanctification is the seal of God's eternal love, though the second step in perfecting wholeness in him, and it is the performance or the completion of a work that God has started in justification. Listen to him as he puts the cap sheath on his song to the, of the sanctified. Enter into the promised rest, the Canaan of perfect love. Father, supply my every need. Sustain the life thyself hast given, call for the corn, the living bread, the manna that comes down from heaven, thy gracious fruits of righteousness, thy blessings unexhausted store, in me abundantly increase, nor let me ever hunger more. Praise God. And then he said, speak the second time, be clear, take away my inbred sin, every stumbling block remove, cast it out by perfect love. Hallelujah. And then in the law of love, that blessed law of thine, Jesus, to me impart the Spirit's law of life divine. Oh, write it on my heart. Implant it deep within, whence it may ne'er remove the law of liberty from sin, the perfect law of love. And then he defined the life of the person the sanctified in a single uh, eye to be Quote, humble and teachable and mild, oh, may I, as a little child, my lowly master's steps pursue, be anger to my soul unknown. Hate, envy, jealousy, be gone. In love create thou all things new. Let earth no more my heart divide. With Christ may I be crucified. To thee my whole heart aspire. Dead to the world and all its toys, its idle pomp and fading joys, be thou alone my one desire. Hallelujah. 
Praise God for the wonderful doctrine of entire sanctification. Well, my time is limited. I'm going to uh, eliminate those other 10 pages or so and let's get on. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The explicit instruction of the Spirit of God here is to follow peace and to follow after holiness. Now, we are, as I mentioned a little bit ago, we are the products of at least two different heritages. In the first instance, we are the product of a human heritage. Some several years ago, longer than my folks like to think about, I can see a, a scrawny looking uh, hillbilly Kentucky uh, boy as he got his first automobile. It was a rinky tink, I'll guarantee you. As he made his way back up the back roads and the bumpy roads and discovering and, and looking out the nooks and crannies of old Casey County, Kentucky, and uh, his eyes fell with delight upon a lady, a young lady. And there, after uh, the process of time, got up enough courage to ask her, her ruthless, reckless father, if he could take her for his wife. And so he did and made his way to central Kentucky and there in the, the tobacco patches and the bluegrass section of central Kentucky, a family uh, developed and it wasn't long until my folks were blessed with Jimmy. <laughs> but in the subsequent years and time that followed, uh, we become a product of a human heritage. There were economic circumstances. There were moral values that came through that home even before we could uh, understand or carry on a decent conversation. There were those values in the smack on the hand when we reach for that which we should not. Uh, in the instruction and the even the teaching with the eye sitting across the church uh, uh, in many a time or just maybe a row or two behind and look around and catch that uh, uh, guidance with the eye which meant if you don't straighten up I'm going to whip you good when I get you home. We are products of that human heritage. And then there are also not only the economic circumstances, the moral values, that were, but there was the spiritual providential arrangement of the eternal God that made it possible for somewhere back across the years, an old-fashioned second blessing holiness preacher heard the call of God, went to Bible school, graduated from there, and with the blessing of God on his soul, sought not to go to the ways of the big city, but to seek out the, the winding paths in the countryside of that same central Kentucky and God led him to a little town and there my folks were providentially led to hear the old-fashioned rugged gospel message of second blessing holiness. And my dear friend, we are a product of that heritage as far back as we can remember. The radiant smile on the face of the saints of God, the shouting in the aisles, repentance sinners making their way to an altar of prayer and leaving there a puddle of tears and anguished cries going up toward those ceilings begging God to have mercy on them. And then etched in our memory also is the, the Wednesday night prayer meeting after that revival and two weeks and two months later watching those that were dug out of the raw and the rough of sin develop in the grace of God to see some uh, that uh, walked as if a holly, out of a Hollywood fashion plate. I remember one lady moved away, came to the state of Ohio, and uh, all I had known her to be was a very worldly individual. But after a while, her husband's work uh, ran out, and back to the Kentucky she came. 
And I shall never forget the shock that was in my teenage heart when I saw her that first Sunday morning having come. She was a different woman. Somewhere she fell under the influence of old-fashioned holiness and she came back uh, looking like every bit a saint of God and she was destined to be my Sunday school teacher and be a lot responsible for praying me through. Praise God for that heritage. We have a, a priceless spiritual heritage uh, that brings us here this afternoon. Holiness forevermore. Praise God. Amen. I'd like to just leave a little three-point outline and leave it I might before I'm done. But uh, there's at least three thoughts I'd like to just project uh, for consideration in the short time that we have this afternoon. And I'll try not to run over those 60 or is it 90 minute tapes we have this afternoon, Brother Smoot. All right. In the first place, we have, I'd like to just mention holiness defined. I've already touched on that a little bit, some of the theological concepts that have been given to us. Secondly is holiness delivered and developed. And then in the third instance, I want to close out uh, on holiness distinctive. Now, if you'll just bear with me for a little bit, maybe we can get down to that final, which is what you're looking for anyway. Holiness defined. Now, we've already mentioned some of the theological concepts. There was the John Wesley's and the Charles Wesley's. There was Adam Clark who uh, also uh, spent 40 years. God gave him uh, a tremendous volume that is still important to our study even today and uh, very pertinent to the tr development of spiritual truth and in preaching. And then there's John Fletcher, one of the most eloquent uh, writers and discerners of uh, and exponents of, of real solid scriptural holiness theology that becomes a part of our heritage. But but then not if we had to just simply depend on the theologian, whether he be in the classroom, uh, at a Bible college, or somewhere teaching a Sunday school class, I'm afraid that a lot of us would never have uh, uh, developed maybe an appreciation for that truth. I'm glad for the scripture that was pointed out previously that this way and this word is so plain that even though a man be a fool, he need not err therein. Praise God. I, this gospel was, is given to the man on the street and it's given to the student in the classroom. It's given to the man in the factory, the farmer in the field. Thank God it is an explicit and plain and simple way. And wherever there is a willing human heart, even in the complexities of 1981, thank God the Holy Ghost is still efficacious today and on the job today to speak in a language and a knowledge, a, a terminology that we can understand that we have a need and respond to that need. One of the great thrills that I've had recently in a camp meeting just recently down in, in uh, Florella, Alabama, just a few days ago, I believe on a Saturday night, I watched uh, one of those, uh, I guess they call them rednecks down there, <laughs> but I watched one of those old raw bone country boys, why well, he probably couldn't tell you much about adjectives and adverbs and participles and all that, but I watched God get a hook in his jaw and brought him from the back seat of that little old tabernacle and made his way down the, down the aisle and he got to the third row there and I saw him with both hands clenched, blood veins swelling out on his, on his neck as he just burst out, oh God! And he made his way to an altar of prayer and such praying and, he, and, and it didn't take him long to get through. He, he jumped to his feet and turned around. He said, folks, he said for 20, he said, I'm a boy 26 years old. 
And he said, for the first time in my life, God has saved me. Hallelujah. I told him, uh, I said, I'm expecting something out of you. I expect a year from now and two years from now, you to still be serving the same God. I'm glad this gospel today, my friend, reaches down to the lowest of human hearts. Blessed be the name of Jesus. I remember hearing an incident took place in a, uh, in a, a the, well, it wasn't theology class. It was a, a psychology of religion class. Well, I had to have uh, uh, at least one of those courses in a very worldly university for, uh, to get his degree accredited. And uh, I shall never forget uh, that time in the classroom when the good doctor, a PhD who had been an ordained minister for several years, uh, but uh, just went right over top of the basic principles of, of faith, uh, said the virgin birth is really not that important. And the miracles in the New Testament, we all agree, he said, uh, that uh, they are simply faulty reporting. Well, now, that's one thing for that man to testify for his own ignorance, but it's another thing for him to, to, put, to put me in his sentence. And uh, we had to come up for air. And uh, he, of course, broke into his uh, uh, deductions and the brilliant arguments, you know. And finally, in frustration, uh, we can remember the time when God struck our heart. And the good doctor, I said something like this, sir, I may not be able to, to just come right up with you on your deduction, but I know one thing you can't debate. I know what I was on that cold January night when I made my way to the house of God. I know what I was when God dealt with me there in the in, setting in the seat. I know what I was when I came to an altar of prayer. I know I was a lost, wretched sinner far from the grace of God, but I know what I was when I got up and I know where I came from. I know where I am and I know where I'm headed. Hallelujah. Thank God for a wholeness heritage. You may not be able, my friend, to spit out the alphabet soup in Greek and Hebrew, and I'm not discrediting those things, but don't you become in bondage to those things or those that have greater knowledge. The blessed Holy Ghost reminded us he would instruct us and lead us in the way. And he that hungereth and thirsteth after righteousness shall be filled. Holiness defined. Let's move on. God, the Holy Spirit, delivered and developed holiness throughout the Word of God. This holiness and its deliverance as well as its development is a cooperation between the human and the divine. It is not a divine impartation into a man where God's going to knock him down and just implant all that in his heart. There is a cooperation. When God dealt with my heart, he approached me from the standpoint of my better judgment. He said, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. He appeals to us on the basis of our free moral agency and on the basis of our will, a cooperation between the human and the divine. In the Old Testament, there are types and shadows that, that were the finger of God prophetically pointing to the time when the Holy Ghost would come inside the human heart and give him the ability uh, and the power to cleanse his nature and to sanctify him completely. I thought of Jacob over in Genesis chapter 32. You remember Jacob was the deceiver. He was the heel grabber. He was the one whose nature was treacherous and in his heart there was deceit and there was that wicked spirit. 
And for years he was plagued by that disposition because he had hoodwinked his brother out of his birthright because of his conniving and his scheming. Many a night he lay restless on his bed uh, thinking what it would be, how awful it would be to ever face uh, uh, the great strong hunter of the field, Esau again. And finally the day came when the sobering message came across the miles, Esau and 400 men are approaching. He was scared. He was in a bind. He came to the place where he began to reckon with his own nature and his own heart. And the word tells us that he, he, he gathered up. He thought he'd kind of soften the blow a little bit. He's still a pretty sharp fella. He said, let me take all these milk cows and let me take some camels and let me take some goats. And, and uh, some of you service said, you go over there and present him as an offering, kind of soften him up a little bit. But he was scared of Esau because of the shenanigans he had pulled uh, and it, because of that deceiving heart. But it wasn't long. When they came back, they said he wants to see you anyhow. And so that very night we find that he took his wife and he took his children and he placed them across the crossing of the river Jabbok. And then he came back across the river for tomorrow he was facing the greatest dilemma and crisis of his life. And so he went up to the, uh, in the wilderness there and he began to pray. And as he prayed, there was an, a mighty angel of God that withstood him and he wrestled through the night. And finally, as he wrestled and as he uh, faced the crises of his life, that angelic being said, what is thy name? He wanted to change the subject. He didn't want to uh, discuss it with him, but it meant surplanter. It meant deceiver, a thief. That was the nature of his heart. But he, he was brought him right back to that same point every time. What is thy name? What is thy name? And finally, when he, he, he burst out, he said, I want you to bless me. I want you to bless me. Put your hand on me. I've got to have your blessing. I don't want to face Esau without the blessing of God. He said, tell me your name. Oh, we're not talking about names, Lord. I want you to bless me. But God brought him right back to the same point. And when he said, Jacob... It was then that the victory came flooding to his heart. <laughs> Praise God. He said, thy name shall no longer be Jacob, but it shall be Israel. For thou hast prevailed with God, and God smote his, uh, the sinew of his thigh and left it as a monument or a memorial to him till the day he died. And he went out the next day and they fell in each other's arms and God gave him a tremendous victory. Actually, it, it was a type and shadow pointing uh, to a, the change of nature that the Holy Ghost brings to the human heart. Israel, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, if you remember the, the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I beheld the Lord high and lifted up, setting uh, upon his throne. And then he said, his train filled the temple. And he talks about the seraphim, each one having uh, six wings. With twain he covered his feet and twain he covered his eye, face and with twain he did fly. But he said, in that atmosphere where God's holiness filled the sanctuary, he said there was something that was out of harmony with his spirit and the spirit of the atmosphere in which he was in. You know, I've seen folks said in camp meeting services when the blaze of glorious truth was going forth or the blessing of God was on and there were some that were genuinely blessed of God and there was just a general atmosphere. There'd be tears running down some faces. Some folks would be a little more exuberant, running the aisles, shouting the victory. Some with just great big old smiles. And yet in the very same atmosphere, I've seen some that sat completely out of harmony with the atmosphere where God is. Oh, that's, that scares me. 
But we find that Isaiah, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. There was something in the powerful, wonderful atmosphere of God's glorious presence that said you have something wrong in your heart. Could it not be said, my friend, that one of the problems of this age in the holiness movement is a general lack of glory on the services? Where there is a spirit, the spirit of truth, where God's glorious and illuminous presence is, it will produce conviction. Isaiah, uh, when, he, when he, he cried out, woe is me, instantly there came back a divinely oriented response. One of those seraphims had the answer, praise God. He took the tongs and reached out. It was too hot to handle himself, but he took the tongs and reached out and took a live coal from off of the altar and he, he, he touched it to his lips and he made a pronouncement. Thy lips, thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. I'm thankful tonight that God doesn't only take away our, our committed acts of sin, but I'm glad for the purging ability of the fiery infilling of the blessed Holy Ghost that purifies the heart and sanctifies us absolutely holy. Praise God. Notice in Malachi uh, chapter 3 and uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Of course, the Lord talking of John the Baptist. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like the refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. Praise God forever. The purpose of his coming, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. I've never been to a melting place for silver, but I know there's a lot of heat involved and there's some fire involved and the temperature rises and it rises and it rises until that which is stony and that which has a metallic hardness to it suddenly becomes melted under that fervent heat and then it's the impurities that are within the innate within the metal that rises to the top and are skimmed away and the more fire you put to it the more pure it becomes. My dear friend, over in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is marked than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Praise God, a cleansing, purifying, refining fire and a fuller soul. In the New Testament, we have that promised baptism. But then in Acts chapter 2, we have the actual baptism of the blessed Holy Ghost. I tell you, from time to time, there arises on the spectrum of, of the holiness movement and the church world in general, all kinds of discussion concerning uh, what took place at Pentecost or what is involved in that mighty infusion of power. But I want to tell you the great greatest benefit that God gave to the church and I personally believe that the disciples were gloriously saved already under the ministry of Jesus Christ but I believe the blessed Holy Ghost came to purify the innate dross in the human heart, cleansing and sanctifying, removing the hindrances of original sin in the heart that man might grow thereby. Praise God. I was in a truck stop several years ago where I was coming driving all night from a place of 
of uh, preaching and had driven a couple hundred miles and stopped off in a place uh, and had sat down there and was getting ready to eat a sandwich about 2.30 in the morning. And I noticed several people come filing in to that uh, the, the place and, and uh, I thought I had them pretty well singled out in my mind of what kind of people they were. But anyway, one of those uh, uh, ladies, after they got situated, about eight of them, uh, she turned around. They had brought my food to me. I bowed my head and thanked the Lord for my meal. And uh, when I was through praying, I noticed that those folk were looking at me. And I, uh, I proceeded to take a bite of my sandwich. And finally, one of the ladies said, pardon me, sir. She said, uh, I noticed you prayed over your food. I said, yes, ma'am, I always do since the Lord saved me. She said, well, it's refreshing to see somebody pray over their meal in public. She said, what church do you go to? And I, I told her, and uh, she asked a few other questions. And finally, she said, have you received the baptism yet? I said, oh, I certainly have. I've received the baptism. Well, I said, you mean of the Holy Spirit? She said, yes, you've received the baptism. She said, I don't understand. She said, I had always understood that the pilgrims hadn't received the baptism yet. Well, I said, lady, I don't know where you've been, but here's one pilgrim that received the baptism a long time ago. And finally, she said, do you mean to tell me, uh, are you saying that you have received uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost and as evidenced in speaking in other tongues and languages? I said, no, ma'am, I didn't say that. I said, I've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She said, I don't understand. I said, lady, for, for one thing, let me just say this, that the last or the least of the gifts happens to be the gift of languages uh, as is mentioned in the Word of God. But I said, the greatest thing that the Holy Ghost did on the day of Pentecost uh, was not give somebody an ability to hear or to speak in another dialect. But the greatest gift and the greatest thing that God rewarded the church with on that day was a purifying of the heart from inbred sin. Praise God. That's what I shout over. Praise God. That old thing is, is purified. That thing is purged by the mighty power of the blessed Holy Ghost. Well, over in Acts chapter 10, you'll find it Cornelius. And uh, by the way, she just about had indigestion and had to go ahead and eat. <laughs> but uh, over in, in Acts chapter 10, you, if you remember Cornelius, God, the Holy Spirit, had, uh, well, had sent an angel and said, Thine alms have been recorded and your prayers have been heard. I want you to go over to the house of Simon the Tanner over at Joppa and you bring a, a, an old-fashioned holiness preacher over here. His name is going to be Peter. He's over there. Uh, and uh, you bring him over here. He's got a message that you need to hear. Praise God. So the prayer meeting went on, and those fellows went down there a day's journey, and uh, they started to procure Peter to bring him on, and, and God had been opening up his mind, you remember, with three different revelations concerning the Gentiles, and finally, after a good meal and a good night's rest, they got over to Cornelius' house, and when they got within a city block, I believe they heard the prayer wheels already turning, <laughs> and I can see uh, Cornelius, somebody gets his attention, he comes out, uh, and the prayer meeting is in full prog process, uh, and progress. And, and he said, this is the man, this is Peter. And so they went in and stopped the folks in their praying and their hearts were open and they were in unity and in perfect love. And with their hearts open, Peter began to speak the things that God had instructed him to speak. And while he was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. 
Praise God. Sometime later, Peter testified of that same revival, and he said, God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Amen. Hallelujah. It's the purity. Amen. It's the purity that brings the power. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, we find, in fact, it took place also in, in uh, chapter 8. Uh, Philip had gone, he kind of did what some of us preachers did. He went everywhere preaching the gospel, you know. And he landed down in Samaria. And over there, the, the anointing of God was on him and they had an old-fashioned revival. I mean, Simon the sorcerer went out of business. He had to hang up his shingle and run downtown and see what happened to his trade. And when he got down there, he found a street meeting going on and folks was praying through and then they'd go over and get some of their relatives and pray them through. And the thing was going full blast and he wondered, well, how can I get this power? And it wasn't long until the fire of revival swept through that place and I had somebody, a holiness preacher, to have the audacity to tell me that those fellows wasn't even saved. I want to tell you something, friend. When the Holy Ghost comes with conviction and there is subsequent repentance, there is great joy in the city as it said in Acts chapter 8. He went on. God called him somewhere else but he stirred up the men down at Jerusalem uh, namely uh, Peter and John and they said brethren go up there and see what's happening at Samaria. Now why did they want to what were they concerned about it? The very, they were concerned about the future of the work and the first question they asked when they came up to the group of believers was have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Why did they ask them that question? They laid their hands on them and the word says that right there they received the Holy Ghost. If that's not too distinct and definite instantaneous works of grace you tell me what is. Over in the 19th chapter of Acts, you remember there was a group of disciples over there and they had a preacher, a pastor by the name of Apollos. And Apollos was eloquent in scripture and he was walking all the light that God had given him. Uh, he was not conscious that Jesus Christ had come. He didn't know that Jesus was the Lord and Savior, but he had minded God up to that point. God sent him Priscilla and Aquila to encourage him and he did what a lot of preachers do. He jumped up and took off over to Corinth. But the same Holy Spirit that sent him to Corinth, turned around and worked on the heart of Paul and brought him on the scene just in time. Now, as he arrives at uh, Ephesus, he finds a certain group of believers. In fact, Priscilla and Aquila. And I, if I were to use my imagination, I don't have time to use my imagination, so let's go on. Uh, we find that he went down on the creek bank that night where prayer was wont to be made. They were having an open air service where the believers were meeting and he opened his mouth and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, his service just came to a grinding halt right there. Those fellows sitting there began to blink their eyes like some of you are doing right now just kind of blinked their eyes and they looked at him and they said, well, and finally he said, did I say something wrong? And uh, he said, don't you know about the Holy Spirit? And they said, well, we didn't even know there was such a thing. Well, he said, unto what baptism were you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. And it dawned on Paul that here were uh, individuals that had placed their hope and faith in the hope of the coming Messiah. They did not know that Jesus, in fact, had already come. 
They were walking in the light. They were obedient to the light they had. Uh, but Paul then turned around and said, well, let's have another baptismal service. And I believe he took them right down and soused them clear under. Oh, well. I believe he had a baptismal service, brought them up out of the water, baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, the important thing was not the water. The important thing was that they then and there transferred their faith from the message of hope given to them by John to the fact of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I believe while they were still dripping wet, that little old short-armed Jew said, boys, come over here. He said, would you like to have it all? He said, God, the Holy Ghost is here. He's been given. He wants to establish this work. And he said, and I can see one of those fellows said, if there's any more like what I've got, I want all of it. Praise God. And the, the word says that right there, he laid his hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Why, why did these men uh, ask these questions? Why was the first emphasis after regeneration that they ought to be filled with the Spirit of God? Because that work would never be purified and established on the right principles until the Spirit of God had cleansed away every stain and trace of carnality. And even to this very day, if carnality reigns and rules in the local church or the home, it will stain and blot and damn everything it touches. Praise God. Well, hallelujah. Let's go on. What is needed today in the holiness movement, I, I believe, is the development of great souls. And we cannot have the development of great souls in our pews until we have the development of great hearts great hearts in the pulpit and in the parsonage. God help us this afternoon. I, I, what, does, what does wholeness mean as far as the development of wholeness in our churches and in our uh, parsonages? I believe of all the things we could say that it means that we preachers have to and must exemplify the spirit of Jesus Christ even when the vote don't go like we'd like to see it go. Oh God help us. I tell you, across the years, I've seen some little Johnnies and Susies that raised their eyebrows when they saw sharp words exchanged in the business meeting or maybe uh, even they were able to pick up the spirit of things and ask questions. I've had my own children to ask me questions that I refused to answer or even discuss with them. But they saw attitudes and they saw actions and, and they saw reactions and they were looking to see what kind of lines were in my brow. And what kind of fire was in my speech? I remember some time ago, a young man, I have respect for him and I, I appreciate him. And I, I won't call any names uh, in any way, shape, nor form. But uh, oh, there was a, a, just a little brashness and uh, uh, raspiness in that spirit, you know. And there came a time when uh, he had an awful tragedy in the confines of his home that involved one of his children. And it was such an insulting and humiliating thing. He told me about going and facing a certain group of people. And he, he, his mouth just became free uh, to express things that shocked himself until the press of the circumstance and of the moment. I'm glad we don't have to come to that point of crisis, my friend, to find what's in her heart. The blessed Holy Ghost is faithful to remind us. It means for the layman to put away envy, jealousy, submit ourselves unto God. Holy 
holiness defined. My time is getting away. I want to try to finish up here. Holiness delivered and holiness developed. And I, you understand, I'm just barely scratching the surface on these, this great principle of holiness. But listen, I personally could not conclude the message without at least pointing out some holiness distinctives in this hour. Brethren, there's never been a greater challenge to any generation in the history of the holiness movement than the one that you and I are a part of tonight. Praise God. I know there are some, if you listen to their testimony on Wednesday night or any other time, they'd say, brother, it's gone to the dogs. The whole world's caving in on us. What are we going to do? But my dear friend, it's encouraging to me to note that here and there, God, the Holy Spirit, is raising up some new preachers. Praise God. I had a young fellow come to me in the last camp we were in, and he said, Brother Southern, you remember me? And I said, no. I, I said, I know you. I saw you in one of the quartets. No, he said, do you remember that camp meeting that night? I said, no, I don't, but I remember being at the camp. And he said, don't you remember? He said, as a boy, I was praying. I was bawling and crying. And he said, I got up from the altar and went outside the tabernacle, leaned up against the tree. And he said, you came out and put your arm around me and encouraged me to go with God. He said, Right there at that tree, I drove a stake and God called me to preach. And that fella in that particular service brought a whole van load of old roughnecks, you know, rough and ready, right out of the raw, but they're getting saved. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, if God hasn't given up on us, why should I give up on you? He's still here and there. There's young, young men and uh, testifying, God's called me to preach. God's called me to preach. Praise God. I've told my boy, a 17-year-old boy, I said, son, if you can get to heaven without preaching, I said, that's the thing to do. But it would, but it would be, and if you ever preach the gospel, it won't be because your dad called you to preach. <laughs> but you'll preach the gospel because you feel like that you'll go to hell if you try anything else. And God is still raising up in this hour uh, some young preacher. He hasn't given up on this generation. Holiness distinctives. What, what are the distinctives in holiness that I remember? And I'm going to share these with you. And I know probably some of you are going to catch them and throw them back at me. But I don't aim to duck. Holiness distinctives. One is a discernibly different spirit than the spirit of this world. My dear friend, the world has a right to expect a Christian to be Christ-like. Whether it be in business deals or whether it be in our conversation, our deportment at home, or around our relatives or around friends or facing an enemy. One of the distinctives of heart holiness is a discernible, that is a easily recognized spirit that is the spirit of Christ. It is contrasting to the spirit of this old world. It should be a sweet, entreatable spirit. I've been surprised at, at some things I've heard over the years that say, oh, I couldn't dare talk to my preacher about that. I'm afraid about his attitude about it. God, help us, folks. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Another distinctive, I believe, is a discernible standard of separation from the world. Did you hear what I said? I believe it is scriptural in this day to have a discernible uh, standard of separation from the world. There has never been a better time, never been a better time for holiness women to exemplify the principles of holiness that are given to us in the Word of God than in 1981. Praise God. Now, brethren, if we want the blessing of God on our hearts, right here is where we're going to have to start. Now, I recognize that our standard of separation
not the end in our preaching or our lives. But I want to say this. You cannot compromise those basic principles without losing the blessing of God on your heart. What are you trying to say? Well, I'm going to tell you. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable uh, whole will of God. Now, what I'm saying, the word conformity means to be in harmony with, to be like, to talk like, to act like, to look like. Oh, I tell you, it's getting weak. I can remember a few short years ago when, uh, when God helped us to raise up a standard and we were thinking in terms of the pressure that was being exerted from the top right on down, you know. Let's kind of be quiet along these lines. Just cut the corners just a little bit. Just remain silent. If you want to do it big, if you want to be big time in the ministry, uh, let's kind of be silent on these lines. I had an administrator of a certain school one time to call me in his office and he said, Jim, I believe if you'll just kind of cut up corners a little bit, just be quieter along some lines. He said, I believe you can go places. I said, you got to me too late. There's still some distinctives in holiness. And my dear friend, your, your naked elbows and naked knees and immodesty is no more sanctified than the people you came out from. It means a surrendered will. It means a sanctified service. It means nonconformity to the dress codes of the world. Amen. I tell you, I've been alarmed at the increasing uh, uh, area of even sandals in our crowd, you know. It just kind of bothers me. Now, I'm not saying these are uh, moral uh, issues, but I want to tell you, friend, before we fall, before we start to compromise, the first evidences will be on some of these little things that people call non-essential. I really believe if we want to see a revival from God, we're going to have to have a scripture of submission to God's chain of command. Praise God to be obedient. We want obedience. We preachers want obedience. We want to see submission. We preach the proper and right chain of command as long as it doesn't infringe on my little authority. Amen. Over in 1 Timothy, and I, folks, please don't get uneasy. I, I, I'm really, I haven't uh, left uh, my senses yet. But uh, over in 1 Timothy, there is some principles I think I need to touch on just a minute. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men, are your hands holy? In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Praise God. That involves God's proper chain of command. There is a, uh, it means uh, the basic spirit here is a bashfulness toward men. We live in a day when the, the world has got the cart before the horse. And in the name of ERA, the Antichrist spirit is saying, no, we don't want that. And it's in the holiness movement. I'm not 
talking about that a woman ought to be beat down and abused. I say she should be uh, viewed, as the scripture said, as the weak old vessel, ladies, like it or not. It may be getting in deep water here, but it's awful high up here, and we're just going to wait on. <laughs> Scriptural submission to God's chain of command. We are to learn in a spirit of meekness and quietness, which before God is acceptable. And uh, a holiness distinction, let's go a little bit further, is a conscientious keeping of the Lord's day. You look back through the Word of God and you'll find in almost every instance where he called the people to revival, he called them to remember the Lord's day and to ask forgiveness for the desecration of God's holy day. And I want to tell you, you don't have to go out the conservative circles, as it's called, to find individuals, my friend, that'll stop and buy pop on the Lord's day or stop in a restaurant on the Lord's day or make some excuse to buy gas on the Lord's day. Uh, I know this isn't popular, but it's the truth anyway. And if we want the blessing of God, let's remember the Lord of the Sabbath. Another distinctive, I think, is the scriptural example and standard set before our people in the pulpit and on the platform. Praise God. Hallelujah. Listen, friends, the Word of God did touch a principle in Deuteronomy 22.5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, and neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For they that do so are an abomination to the Lord thy God. I'm talking about a holiness distinctive that I was raised on when I was a little bitty boy. And it's still a part of our heritage. There is a principle that is there. God still values the separation of the sexes. Amen. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is her glory and given unto her for a covering. Now, I didn't ask the Lord to let me preach this this afternoon. I couldn't get away from it. Doctrinal or, or holiness distinctives, scriptural examples, a ministry to the home, and even in this awful age of loose morals, well, there still needs to be a voice raised concerning the awful, horrible hell that the devil has made out of the American home in divorce and remarriage. Let me tell you something, friend. My heart goes out to the folks that are in that mess. My heart bleeds, and it has bled with folks. I've tried to help them and, and counsel with them. I have friends that are involved in that. But I want to tell you, we cannot become silent in instructing our young people to the awful danger. They've got to find the right companion. And the pressure is on in certain areas of the wholeness movement to become silent along that line. Praise the Lord. And finally, the giving of our substance back to the work of God, supporting the IH Convention, hallelujah, supporting the work back home, supporting the Christian day school, supporting the camp meeting, hallelujah, it's a scriptural principle. 
And God will help us to pay our bills if we'll just mind God in the scriptural distinctive. And finally is in the demonstration and the power of the blessed Holy Ghost. Somebody says, I'm afraid of wildfire. But I tell you, I haven't hardly seen much of any of it for so long. Amen. Give us holy fire. God, the Holy Ghost, give us a holy fire that'll, that'll bring us back, bring us back to those distinctives and bring us back to the doctrines and bring us back to the experience of factual, Bible, scriptural, second blessing, holiness. I have an article here out of the U.S. News and World Report. I just want to, in closing, I want to just drop this in your lap. A global surge of old-time religion. April 27th, 1981. Now, this is the issue that just came out. I picked it up yesterday morning. U.S. News and World Report. Everywhere, fundamentalism and Bible sales are on the rise. Most of all in Africa, but in Asia, Latin, and even Marxist-ruled nations, too. Praise God. An international surge of religious fervor is spreading. Bible sales are booming in such unlikely places as Uganda, Hong Kong. Russian Baptists are printing scriptures on smuggled presses and risking jail. Chinese recently thronged from hundreds of miles away to gaze upon a mysterious light on a hillside near Shanghai. Curiosity religiously stirred. Many faiths are feeling the revival of old-fashioned zeal. But some of the most dramatic activity is rippling through two contrasting forms of Christianity. On the one hand is elaborately structured Catholicism. Folks, we don't require too much of our people. The problem is laziness. It's exactly right. Go across the wholeness movement and, and you can tell what's going on by how lazy people are. And a lot of preachers haven't called like they ought to and their Sunday schools are just going down the tube. All right, two contrasting forms. One was elaborately structured Catholicism and the other is a small, a small Protestant churches committed to spreading plain spoken faith and holiness across the world. Well, I say hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. It seems like our thinking has been structured to a little shack down by the railroad track where the preacher has to wait till the train gets through. But I believe God the Holy Ghost wants to put this message on Main Street USA. Hallelujah! And Main Street World! But I believe if we're going to see it done, we need to examine our own hearts. And in these areas of the distinctives, in this area of faith, are we practicing, are we living up to where God wants us to live? Praise God. I remember, I remember some time ago, in fact, I almost lost my soul over this very issue back in Bible school when the pressure was on. And I remember God, for just a little while, closed up heaven for me, wouldn't answer my prayers. I didn't realize what I'd said. And finally, after I'd wrecked my car and he'd shut the door for five weeks and I wasn't able to pray through and everything went wrong, <clears throat> I drug my carcass away somewhere and pulled the door in after me and I said, Lord, tell me what have I done? And God brought me back to a place where I heard myself say these words. Maybe I have been a little too radical. Maybe I have preached it a little bit too close. Maybe I have been a little too hard on television. Maybe I have been a little too straight on some of these things. And I was horrified. I said, oh God, will you forgive me? 
And I tell you, we had quite a session. And God forgave me. Praise God. About uh, seven or eight days ago, God, the Holy Ghost, whispered to me in a real good time with the Lord and said, Jim, I want you to still hold that same line. Everybody stand up, shake hands, and be friendly. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Oh.